We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome everybody back, Steve with Cespedelli. Coming at you, I know it's been a while since we've done one of these, but Desmond Birch, author of Trial, Tribulation, and Triumph, called me the other day, well, really about a month ago, talking about wanting to do a show on hope. Some four-letter word that no one seems to have a lot of these days. <laughs> Desmond, welcome back. Happy Advent to you, and how you doing? I'm doing very, very well. We, I had... One of my oldest friends still living uh, for house guests this weekend with his wife. They came and visited us. And uh, I took him down to the church, introduced him to one of our, our, our pastors, who was a guy in his early 30s. And he said, well, when did you guys meet? I said, what was that, Bob? Uh, 1964? <laughs> and then the guy's eyes got to These guys can't be this old. I can't, he was reading and a sign in his forehead. But yes, we were. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, uh, getting started. This is really, I've been asked over and over again to do a talk on hope. And I'm doing, writing a book about it because I got repeated requests to do that. Because as Steve said, there isn't very much of it out there. I mean, even with the faithful, it's it's uh, it's like everybody's grim. What's going to happen next? Uh, it, it reminds me of a cartoon that I put on my Facebook page a, a few weeks ago. And you look at it, and here's a picture of this prison guard is looking through binoculars all around the periphery. And there's a guy in an electric chair strapped into it next to him who has a plug cord running over to one of these big... Uh, hydro, uh, excuse me, electric fans, wind generator fans, and the guard says, oh, "Here, there's something, there's something promising over there." Uh, no, it died. Uh, there, there's one that's coming. Uh, it, it was, it was just a fake. Uh, but oh boy, there's some like, real, real leaves rustling over there, and prisoner's eyes are about this big, and it, it, <laughs> it reminded me of many of my friends these days, whether they're Catholics, Protestant, seculars, uh, who, who haven't found God yet, everybody seems to have the same problem. They see how many bad things are happening around them. There can't be anybody here who doesn't realize that we're experiencing very troubled times. I think that would be a safe thing to say. Sure. Uh, each day, doesn't it seem like all we hear is more and more bad news? Yeah. So how do we keep our hope up in situations like this? And can we possibly be naive enough to think that we're the only ones in, in the history of the church that have done this? I don't think, I can't imagine anybody being that naive. All throughout history, every period of time when I thought, gee, it'd have been nice to live then, once they started digging into the history of that century for, for the church, it was, oh my God, 
look what they went through. Every century has its own nightmare, Alice, you know, jumping up at them. So how do we keep our hope up? In order to keep hope up, you have to know where we've been, where we are, and in full, true full hope, then you can you can have ex, and, and enthusiasm about where we're going. Most importantly, don't we need to know what hope is? Most people don't, in my experience. Where it comes from, what its fruits are, in order to be part of sustaining it, because it is correct to say we have an active role to play in sustaining our own hope. Now, I, I've only run into a couple of priests who knew that. I haven't run into any layman who did. But how few people are aware of it? Most of the priests aren't even aware of it. And it's a formal teaching of the church that we have a critical role to play in keeping our own hope up and our own faith up and our own charity up. All three of the cardinal virtues depend upon God's grace first, but then we have to cooperate with that grace. And it helps to cooperate with it if we were aware that we have to. <laughs> it's absolutely required. Um, so we're speaking here of one of the theological virtues along with faith and charity. Faith, hope, and charity, all three. Faith, now let's just go start from the catechism. This is, trust me, this isn't going to be boring. Your eyes are going to get bigger and bigger like a guy in the electric chair as we go further into this. All right, got to be sleeping. <laughs> CCC 1814 faith is a theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us and that Holy Spirit proposes for our belief because he is truth itself. By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God. For this reason, the believer seeks to know and do God's will. The righteous shall live by faith. Living faith works through charity. So read that. Living faith works through charity. Well, what does that tell us about if we don't have any or we've only got a little bit of charity? What if I have all of St. Paul covers that? If I give up my very body to burn new eyes and I don't have any charity, what's going to happen? You're going to fry like a crispy critter for, for eternity if you don't repent and convert. And that's, that's what we, basically what the catechism is saying here. Um, and if ever you feel like you're on the verge of becoming a crispy critter, I'll give me the key to this whole talk. It's increase your spiritual and your corporal charity. But we're going to get into why and how the church teaches this. And that it is the key for your part of it. God's grace provides all the means. We have to say yes. And the yes in this case is if you find your, your, your hope lagging, your faith lagging, you better jack up your spiritual and your corporate works of mercy. It's just that simple. No, um, no, no. I gotta blame others. I don't know what you talk. I gotta do something. No, 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 no. Desmond, Desmond, Desmond. Come on, man. This is the time where we complain. And you told me yeah. I gotta do something. Yes, I, I understand. Believe me, I've been there and done that. That's why I found it didn't do any good. It made me more miserable. Okay, um, uh, uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1815. The gift of faith remains in one who has not sinned against it. What does that mean? Who isn't, at, who isn't out of the state of grace, somebody that hasn't committed a, gra a, grave, a grave sin that is mortal. Okay, well, so let's repeat it. The gift of faith remains in one, someone, 
who has not sinned against it. But faith apart from works is dead. They're quoting straight from the book of James, right? Uh -huh. You know, the one that Luther called to work a spiritual straw because he didn't like that good, good word about works. <laughs> I think some Catholics <laughs> call it a book of straw anymore, it seems. <laughs> I'm not I'm meaning to pick on Martin Luther. Just, oh, we can pick know. on We can kick him, too, if you want. We can drag yeah, his but, body but, out. But he's, he's got a lot of company these days, okay? <laughs> uh, when it, but faith apart from works is dead when it is deprived of hope, love, faith. doesn't. When it is deprived of hope and love, faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ and does not make him a living member of his body, even if he isn't, even if he is in the state of grace. How's that grab you? Uh -huh. Let's reread it. The gift of faith remains in anyone who has not sinned against it. But faith apart from works is dead. When it is deprived of hope and love, faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ and does not make him a living member of his body. The emphasis there is on living, okay? Or you live in the faith. Right. Okay, uh, next one. The next uh, next paragraph is CCC 15, uh, 1253. Baptism is the sacrament of faith, but faith needs the community of believers. It is only within the faith of the church and each of the faithful can, that each of the faithful can believe. The faith required for baptism is not a perfect and mature faith, but a beginning that is called to develop. The catechumen or the godparent is asked, what do you ask of God's church? The response is faith. In other words, even hermits can, can have to depend upon others to bring them food, to bring them the sacraments. You know, uh -huh. there's no such thing as living faith outside of community. Even a hermit has some community members that are bringing them sustenance. Yeah, we're not okay. the army of one. <laughs> yeah, you got it. There's plenty of people who have tried, they all fail. <laughs> okay, next. Hope. Again, of why am I am starting out by emphasizing what the what the catechism teaches? Because as Pope St. John Paul II assured us, this the, this catechism is a sure guide to the bishops at their level on how to teach the faith properly. Uh, and I'm not talking about emendations that have been put in by anybody since. And if everybody understands what I just said, fine. If they don't, I'm not going to explain it. Um, CCC 1817. Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in God's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The Holy Spirit, he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope, eternal life, in hope of eternal life. There's the, the, the major point here is that hoping the Broncos will win next week is not has nothing to do with hope. That's not what we're talking about. Or hoping that you and your wife, just hoping that you and your wife We'll have a happy marriage until both of you, until one of you dies. That is not the type of hope we're talking about. Even now, you're you're loving you're loving your spouse with your whole heart and your whole soul, like you do God. That is part of that is part of the hope. But is hoping for long life with with someone, or hoping that your country will not be destroyed by uh, communist China that is building up its forces, hoping they can give us a secret strike. 
That's not the hope we're talking about. The only hope that brings joy and peace into your heart, and that's a key part of having hope. Without hope, you don't have any joy, you don't have any peace. It's just that simple. Okay, 1820. Christian faith unfolds from the beginning of Jesus' preaching and the proclamation of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes raise our hope toward heaven as the new promised land. They trace the path that leads through the trials to await the disciples of Jesus. But through the merits of Jesus Christ's passion, God gives us in the hope that does not disappoint. Hope is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul that enters where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. It's the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's if you've got low hope, you better you better get a new anchor chain. And there's only one way you're gonna do that. AutoZone. Huh? No, 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 sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> you said you said chain, anchor chain. Yes, My apologies. Yes. Mea Yeah, we're coming back to increased acts of, of spiritual and corporal charity. Somebody that throw this clown point. out of here. Huh? Somebody throw this clown out of here. Go ahead. Desmond, go ahead. Uh, okay. Hope is also a weapon that protects us in the struggle of salvation. You need hope to protect you against temptations from the world, flesh, and the devil. If you don't have that hope, you're set up. And you're hearing today how to jack it up, no matter who you are. Okay? Um, rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Hope is expressed and nourished in prayer, especially in the Our Father, the summary of everything that hope leads us to desire. Okay. Now we're turning to faith, uh, hope's relationship to the other three, the other two cardinal virtues, faith and charity. And so I ask the question, can hope exist in a vacuum? Or is it tied to the two other realities, the two other theological virtues, faith and charity? If I begin to sound like a broken record here, good, I'm succeeding, because that's my job right here. And a serious shortage of charity will slowly strangle both our faith and our hope. Let me repeat that. A serious shortage of charity will slowly strangle both our faith and hope. And that's been taught by so many great saints in the church. It's unbelievable. Why is that important? Because if we're if we're if we're in the state of grace, if, if we're living this life, if we're trying, trying, we've got God feeding us grace. And if we got a problem with hope, it's because we're not saying yes to the grace. Because we're not performing acts of spiritual and corporal charity in sufficient amount. And in really, really rough, bad times like this, I hope there's nobody listening to this that has to be convinced these are, this is a terrible time. It is. But not for the person whose hope is in Jesus Christ only. Not the Broncos or Blackjack Pizza or <laughs> Well Pizza will get here. I hope the pizza will get here by if anybody doesn't understand, Desmond lives in Denver, Colorado. So if you don't understand his ideas, the pizza place is a Denver thing. The Broncos are those that terrible football team in Denver. So just his local his his local spats right here. Is Blackjack a local uh, pizza place? I hope it is because we it ain't out here and I hated it. <laughs> No, as I said, I hope it is. <laughs> you gave me a crew cut right there. Okay. Uh, okay. Back to the catechism. 
paragraph 1821. We can therefore hope in the glory of heaven promised by God to those who love him and do his will. What is the bottom line for Paul and Jesus? Sermon on the Mount. Who, did, who does he say are, are the guys who are going to go onto his right-hand side? The people who did what? They fed the orphans and took care of the widows, and they visited people who were sick and in prison. They get, If somebody was thirsty, they gave them something to drink. If somebody was hungry, they gave them something to eat. If they were naked, they gave them some of their clothes, darn it. And, you know, in a society as materialistic as ours, this is hard even for a serious Catholic. Uh, if I've got, one time my wife said to me, well, yeah, yeah why not? Uh, uh, no, it is hard because, I mean, I know like uh, visiting inmates, I was working with uh, an upstate uh, uh, veterans group. And my, mission, my job detail was to go to the local detention centers and find the uh, the vets in there and help them out to see if they needed their uh, a lawyer, what they were in for, etc. It is hard in anything to go. You can't visit people in detention centers or jails or anything like that, much less you know go you know do half the beatitudes anymore. One priest had a great one of uh, uh, your kids. You're instructing the ignorant. You're clothing the naked babies. <laughs> you know, so so you can do that without having to. You know, go too far with it. You can do that with your own family. You're clothing them, you're right. feeding them, you're giving them thirst, you're, or you're quenching their thirst, etc. It's as the opportunity presents itself. Yeah. Everybody doesn't have to go out, quit their job, and go out looking for people to help. That's yeah. that's not. The you got everyone on the corner. You can go get ten ten big uh, ten dollar uh, ten one dollar big uh, McDonald's burgers and flip them off to the guy to the corner. Not flip them off. Flip them out the window to the guy. Hey man, catch! If they're really hungry, they'll eat it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> In hope. The church prays for all men to be saved. She longs to be united, but that doesn't mean she thinks that all of them are going to make it. We just pray for everybody. Jesus wanted everybody to be saved, but he doesn't force anybody. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father, they're all gentlemen. They don't force anybody. She, she longs to be united with Christ, her bridegroom, in the glory of heaven. Okay. This is from uh, Teresa of Avila. Or, you know, I'm a minor nobody in the church. <laughs> <laughs> hope, oh my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully, for everything passes quickly, even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long time. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove to the love that you bear your God, and more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in happiness and rapture that can never end. And you know what a short uh, synopsis that is? Live every day as your as if it were your last in Christ. That's how we we do that. Okay. I've got a big title here. Uh, contrary to the church's teachings, the idea that it can be hoped that hell does not exist or is empty is totally outside of and contrary to the church's and our Lord's teaching on the subject. They don't waste their time on fantasies, either our Lord or the church. They teach of the eternity of hell and that there are people who actually go there. The church doesn't name any of them. She simply assures us that they exist. Such an idea is not hope. It is wishful thinking to think that everybody's going to go, go to heaven because scripture is clear. Our Lord is clear. Tradition is clear. Anybody who wants to push that idea is very confused. 
And before I get into this any further, I just want to say one thing. My, one of my biggest crosses is when I when I'm dealing with somebody, especially if they're a priest or or, an, or a bishop, who's telling people that it's possible. We can hope that every single person actually gets to heaven. There aren't isn't anybody in hell. I used to think charitable thoughts about them because they ought to know better. But you know, if I do that, that's my temptation. If I do that, where's my charity? Uh-huh. It's not. It's not there. Is Jesus? Judging him? No, Scripture. Jesus isn't going to judge anybody until he croaks. Okay, <laughs> it's just that simple. So if I'm doing that, I'm just a big Pharisee. That's what it comes does, to. Does does that? Wait, a minute. are you telling me that name calling is not charitable? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse when you're thinking it and it's in your heart. That no good. Yeah, Jesus is up there praying. You know, saying. Holy Spirit, bring him some grace. Let's give him another chance. Jesus loves everybody while they're still alive. He wants them all to go there. And if I'm not like that, I'm like one of those whited sepulchers that Jesus denounced so thoroughly. White on the outside. Whitewashed on the outside and black as pitch on the inside. I don't want to face Jesus like that. And uh, none of us knows where we're going to go. Heck, I could be gone before this, this program is recorded. Especially at my age, <laughs> you know, you, you take your time more and more preciously as, as you get older. Yes, yes, yes. You're very more. You're more careful. About yes. <laughs> is a what is that? Uh, Joe Deerday. Do you want me? You want to? Do you want to meet Jesus like that? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, ten thirty. Catechism, paragraph ten thirty-five. The teaching. Now, this I'm going to say this slow, so it can sink in on anybody. Has been conned. That's a, that's a strong word. Jesus wouldn't use that word. Who has been convinced by any priest or bishop that it's that it's okay for a Catholic to think that everybody's going to go to heaven, nobody's going to go to hell. Listen to this carefully. The teaching. This is ten thirty five in your catechism. The teaching of the Church affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. Immediately after death, the souls of those who die in the state of moral sin descend into hell, where they suffer the punishments of hell, eternal fire. These are all direct questions. Check them out. The chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God, in whom alone man can possess the life and happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. We hope for eternal happiness for all, but each person's individual eternity depends upon their correspondence with grace during their earthly lifetime. And I can't force him, and I can't judge him. And Jesus doesn't judge him, and he doesn't force him. Because they got free will. Like you have, like I have. Now we come upon... I had, I had to debate long and hard whether I was going to put this in. <laughs> uh, some people are going to be shocked at this. I hope uh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I put it in. Yes, I did. Okay, Pope John Paul, Pope Saint John Paul II, in his book, "Crossing the Threshold of Hope," that he that was published in 1994. Okay, what's the title again? "Crossing the Threshold of Hope." The lights make that hard to read. Yeah, you talk about that four-letter word again. Yes, <laughs> and what he was doing was explaining in this book, which is hundreds of pages long, what hope is, 
and more importantly, equally importantly, what it isn't. And that's what I'm trying to do here, too. The, the book that I'm working on on this that I've been asked to do by a number of people is going to be a, a little under 200 pages long. Now, obviously, in this period of time, we got, well, you can just skip across the waves like you guys water skiing right? yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on, on a choppy bay. You skis are going across the top of the waves. That's what we're doing here. See, when yeah. I think of skiing, I think of me nosediving and the boat just pulling me and me just the water going up my nose and that. that so I don't know what you're talking about, the dot, 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 dot thing. <laughs> well, that wasn't how it went the first year I was skiing. Let's put it that way. I did a lot of the head down with your head pointing down. You hang on. You don't even let go of the dang handle. And that's that's taking you straight down. You know, to I thought that's the way you're supposed to do it. I, that's, that's, it seemed that was the easiest way. Uh, it, it, it's easy to do, but it's, it, it, it has nasty consequences. Uh, okay. Crossing the Threshold of Hope, 1994, John Paul II. Addressed and published an entire book on the subject of the theological virtue of hope. Therein, John Paul, by the way, uh, have you personally read this book? It's been a while. I, I know it's in, it's in the other room. Okay. I figured you would. I felt safe in asking that question because I was virtually certain you would have already read it. Yeah, I could. I, I can't recite it back to you right now. If you, I don't know why I didn't think about reading it before we did this. I probably because I don't think, but I should have probably done that. Do you know when I thought of putting this in? Yesterday. Uh -huh. <laughs> Tell me what am I doing? Why am I leaving? This? I've been quoting from it for years. Why? Ladies so, and yeah. gentlemen, you got two idiots talking to you right now. That you're welcome. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Two village idiots yes. who are on the prod. Yes. Sorry, we apologize. <laughs> Continue watching. <laughs> okay. Um, therein, John Paul is again develops an understanding of two things: what true hope truly is, and what true hope killers in our time are, and what they are saying. Well, he therein covers most of the basics. I'm just going to read. These are these are some of the chapter titles. Okay, does God really exist? The role of bad philosophy in loss of hope in our culture, particularly in the West. If God does really exist, why can't we see Him? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Why is there so much evil in the world? Buddha, what did he teach in relationship to hope? Same thing for Muhammad and Judaism. He covers a very broad spectrum. This this guy is a, is a was a genius at compressing a lot of material in, into a very tight tight ball. Um, but the ultimate portion of this book of JP2's Crossing a Threshold Hope, in relation to our specific time, appears in the chapter entitled, Does Eternal Life Really Exist? Therein he addresses a grave false idea already in vogue at the time in the 1990s. It was a renewal, it wasn't new, it was a renewal of an old heresy. It traces its beginning back to one of the themes of the early Christian writer Origen in the third century, middle of the third century AD. Uh, he's never been accepted as a father of the church, let alone a doctor, for a number of the wacko ideas he had, like like a final apocatastasis, which we'll get into in a second, and the idea that God created all of souls of people and kept them in some kind of giant hopper in the sky, and that is he as people were born, you know, he, he takes them out and dips them in. It's <laughs> one way to explain it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, and, and other things. He was a brilliant theologian, origin was in many ways. But he reminds me of uh, the, of the an old mayor of New York City, Fiorello LaGuardia. New York City? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. The chili, the chili factory. Taste picante sauce. This is made in New York City. New York City. Yeah. Yes, New York City. He says, he says, I don't make mistakes very often, but when I do, they're usually a real whopper. <laughs> People, all of us forgive me. You're going to go in, go all out. Well, the guy's got enough humility to say that. Oh, well, who can yeah. say that? But Orson never said he was sorry. <laughs> he never changed his mind either. But then nobody ever challenged him then. Okay. So we don't know what he would have said had he been challenged. Uh, St. Jerome challenged him mightily for half of his lifetime uh, and said, this is heresy, 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 heresy. And Jerome was right, right, right. But anyway, okay. Um, uh, it was a renewal of an old heresy. It traces its beginning back to one of the themes of the early Christian writer origin. In the third century AD, he introduced the idea that despite all the scriptural descriptions of an eternal hell, that instead at the end of time, there'll be some kind of a Final apocatastasis, apocatastasis, long Greek word, which means a final reconciliation of all men with God. Translation, it was the idea that all men are saved in the, in, in the end. John Paul II addresses himself also directly to the writings of Hans Urs von Balthasar, who renewed this in his book, Crossing the Thresh, uh, Dare We Hope, yeah. who asked in his book, Dare We Hope, if we cannot believe that somehow all men will ultimately be saved. <laughs> yeah, we can't believe it. John Paul says, why? <laughs> this is response is, in Christ, God revealed to the world that he desires, quote, everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, close quote. This phrase from the first letter to Timothy is of fundamental importance for understanding and preaching the last things. If God desires this, if for this reason God has given his son, who in turn is at work in the church through the Holy Spirit, can man be damned? Can he be rejected by God? Listen to, listen to the diplomacy and the charity of John Paul II, who did not believe in any final apocalypses. He's because he's having to deal with one of his best friends, Hans Urs von Balthasar. <laughs> his, his best friend is putting one of his best friends putting him between a rock and a hard place by yeah, yeah, yeah. coming out with that book. So he says, the problem of hell has always disturbed great thinkers in the church. <laughs> Relax, Hans. <laughs> the rest of it ain't gonna hurt that bad now that I've said you're a great thinker, right? <laughs> Beginning with origin and continuing in our time with Mikhail Bulgakov and Hansers von Balthasar. In point of fact, the ancient councils rejected the theory of the final apocalypse, according to which the world would be regenerated after destruction and every creature would be saved, a theory which indirectly abolished hell. But the problem remains, can God who has loved man so much permit the man who rejects him to be condemned to eternal torment? And yet, the words of Christ are unequivocal. In Matthew's gospel, he speaks clearly of those who will go to eternal punishment. And that, you know, uh, I, I don't have the rest of the quote in there, but it's not necessary. Remember, we're, 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 uh, worm does not die, fire does not quench, etc., etc. And he says forever. He, he tells them, for eternity, wailing and gnashing of teeth, forever. So we either believe Jesus or we don't. Or we listen to some philosopher or wannabe theologian who tells us Jesus had it mixed up. <laughs> Is that too harsh? <laughs> that was very charitable. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you want to read that, read Matthew uh, chapter 25, verse 46, where Jesus says, nope, they're going to fry. <laughs> okay. 
I highly the, recommend the DB translation, the, the Desmond Burst translation. <laughs> They're going to fry. They're going to be crispy critters, baby. Is that okay. on a billboard? Yes. I highly recommend to all the read, reading of Pope uh, St. John Paul the Great's Crossing the Threshold of Hope. You'll treasure it as I do once you've read it. That is if you're a believing, a believing Christian Catholic, a Catholic Christian, either way. Okay. Christ teaches charity is, 1822 in the, in the Catechism. Charity is the theological virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. There's no room in there for blackjack, pizza, or the Broncos. <laughs> Bring up the source subject. Uh, I'm going to have a tedeum for that one just. <laughs> or for thinking, oh, I hope. I love this woman. She's beautiful. And I, I just hope I can live with her. And I hope I die first. You know, you know, uh, that's not hope. That's, that is utter selfishness. Not to find a point on it. I was thinking you were going to say the Hallmark Channel, but okay. Thank you for not. <laughs> 1823. Jesus makes charity the new commandment. This is from the Catechism now. Uh -huh. By loving his own to the end, he makes manifest the Father's love which he receives. By loving one another, the disciples imitate the love of Christ which they themselves receive. Whence Christ says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, the Greek word for what Jesus said there is not philine, brotherly love. Oh, hey, pal. Yeah, we're buddies. Uh, it, it isn't, uh, it's agapine. It is, and you want to know what kind it is? Let me show you. That is agapine love. Totally self-sacrificial love. And that is the word that Jesus called, remember Peter? Three times he asked him, do you love me, Peter? You know, he asked him with, with, with the different verbs. And Peter can't bring himself to say he loves Christ in a totally self-sacrificial way. He died, denied him several times uh, on, on the night. Uh, so Jesus says, okay, do you love me in a brotherly love sort of way? <laughs> you know I do, Lord. Okay. And how many is the time I realized that I was living only in a brotherly love sort of way? Uh -huh. I was not totally sacrificially offering my life up for him and for my neighbor. Because we're not, that's why the greater love hath no man that he give up his life for his friends. Jesus isn't talking about giving him a Twinkie and a, and a Coke tea. He's talking about totally self-sacrificial love. Of course, this isn't an on or an off switch. It's a graduated scale, right? Yeah, we yeah. all know that. Huh. Okay. Uh, 1825. Jesus died out of love for us while we were still enemies. The Lord asks us to love as he does, even our enemies. To make ourselves the neighbor of those farthest away and to love children and poor as Christ himself. And I can tell you that I discovered with the help of a spiritual director how shaky my love was, but maybe 15 years ago, he said, do you love your enemies? He says, first, do you forgive them? Next, do you pray for them? And then, do you love love them? And he says, do you know what it means to love? I said, yeah. St. Thomas says, to wish them well. He says, do you always wish your enemies well? 
I thought, oh my God, no, no. Some might just barely stop sort of hating them. And then it, mm. by God's grace, that's no longer the case, but it was, I thought I was a dynamite Catholic. I really did. Uh, but I did not love my enemies. I did not wish them well. And he says, that's not the only test, but it's a sure test. He said, if you don't love your enemies, if you don't wish them well, wish good for them the way Jesus does, you're not, don't try to consider yourself a mature Christian because that's what a mature Christian must do. He was right. John Paul said that, Mother Teresa in particular said that. I I, I got to spend some time with her. And it's, it's, this woman could love anybody, people who are just horrible, 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 horrible people. And you could, they couldn't hate her because the, when they met her, they knew, dear God, this woman loves me. And she totally agrees, disagrees with everything I'm doing. And she still loves me. That's what the fruits are of it. The closer you can come to habitually loving your enemies, um, the more fruit we can bear for Christ. It's, it's, that, it's that simple. So well, I guess what I'm getting into, even though it's, it's not an organized part of the talk, is my inability for a long time to wish well to those who are promoting this idea of, of eternal heaven, everybody goes to heaven. Uh, it wasn't edifying. It wasn't edifying to Christ. It was not edifying to me. And it wasn't certainly wasn't edifying to anybody else. So as we go through the rest of this, let me just point out that again, here again, hope and faith, as we'll be getting into, they starve to death. They they wither on the vine unless I have charity toward, towards people who are, do, no matter what they're doing, and then even the worst of enemies. Anyway. Well, like, Saint, like you said, St. Paul says, if you don't have charity, you're just a loud gong. Yeah. A, a fakeroo. Yeah. Talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Uh, Christ died out of love for us. Oh, but, 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 I already read that. Uh, I think. The Lord asks us to love as he does, even our enemies, to make ourselves the neighbor of those farthest away and to love children and the poor as Christ himself. Uh, the Apostle Paul has given an incomparable depiction. This is from the from the catechism, from the same article. Charity. Charity is patient and kind. Charity is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. I can be terribly rude and arrogant. My wife has assured me of this, the truth of this on more than one occasion. Yeah, I heard it's your love language. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I'm not one of these guys who has a natural virtue of being loving. I, 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 that's not one of the that's not one of the gifts I, I got, you know. Uh, charity does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I'm told this is another problem area for me. <laughs> it's, it's somebody's really crossing me. Okay. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Charity bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I'm not sitting here trying to tell all you people I've got all this stuff down pat. I'm working on it just like the rest of you, okay? But I have a greater appreciation now than I did 10 or 15 years ago of how critically important it is. Not just to me, but to my country, my but, culture, like my you, church. You read, yeah. We all read that verse or heard that verse thousands of times. Yep. But as you talk about just talk the talk, not walk the walk, 
you hear it, but it's kind of like a white man can't jump. You're hearing Jeremy, but are you listening to Jimmy? Yeah, no one's really picking up what they're putting that. You're hearing it, but you're not putting it in the practice. So it takes a while for you to all of us to figure out that's what he's talking about. It's not this, you know, Barney the dinosaur love that he's saying. This is really hardcore, tough to do. And you got to practice at it like anything. Love. It's self-sacrificial love that we're called to. Yeah. And there's a gradation stale of getting there. Uh, okay, 1827. The practice of all the verses. Here we go. This is the heart and soul in the catechism of this of this presentation. The practice of all the virtues is animated and inspired by charity, which quote binds everything together in perfect harmony. Close quote. It is the form of the virtues. Now he's using Aristotelian Thomistic philosophy term. It, if, if you don't, um, we don't have time to explain what form means if you don't know. But it means it's the mold, the, the, the stuff fits into, whether it's material or immaterial. It articulates and orders them among themselves. Charity orders the other two virtues and all three of them together amongst themselves. It is the source and goal of their Christian practice. I ain't got charity, I ain't got zip. That's basically what I'm being told. Charity upholds and purifies our human ability to love and raises it to the supernatural perfection of divine love. Now we're going to a side, side issue, but it's very directly related. It says in scripture that at some point they will cry peace, peace, but there will be no peace. Now I know there's been, there's been stuff like that in every century so far, but in my lifetime, I'll be 81 in about a month. Um, in my lifetime, I've never seen it. In the height of World War II, it was not like this. Um, I recall when I was a boy in the 1940s and 50s, that during summer in residential parts of cities, small towns or countryside in both Canada and the USA, I was born and raised in Canada until I was 11, then we came to the States. Not that big a difference. A. You could walk down residential streets in cities then, in towns or on country roads at twilight, in total peace. There would be people sitting on their porches enjoying the peace and quiet of the evening who might gently greet you. Those adults sat and were lost in thought and or were peacefully talking with the children, playing happily, till the kids were told they had to come and get ready for bed. Then they weren't happy anymore. <laughs> we all been there. Anyway, uh, the next one. In general, some people in cities and most in small towns and the countryside still, for the most part, knew how to enjoy peace and quiet when the opportunity was there, after the day's work was mostly done. That part of a day was normal. N-O-R-M-A-L, normal. What was most obvious, even to a child, was the peace of mind of so many of the people. Many of the common people could still easily enjoy the simple things in life, including just sitting and thinking about their life, life in general, and even talking about it to others, not just their family, neighbors, fellow parishioners, Protestant friends, wh whoever. I remember my grandma would talk about when uh, my mom and them were younger that they could go in, the, people's doors were open. You could go in if you need to use the bathroom or your neighbors, you were playing or you were down the street, you just go in, no big deal, they come back out. The doors were unlocked. Now, some people have multiple bolts on their doors along with a security system, maybe a gun turret in the front yard with a strobe light. No, don't forget the Rottweilers. And the Rottweilers. 
<laughs> yeah, there's no no one. That's not even a thought in anybody's mind to even knock on the door, much less go into somebody else's house. Right, and it was it was true. It was true. Uh, I lived in those times. Uh, you don't have a spring chicken on your show here as a guest. You understand that, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Many of the common people could still readily enjoy. Uh, yeah, we, we said that. In the large cities, that ability still existed amongst a significant number of people. Not a majority, but a significant number. But was far less common than in townships and countryside living. Often do we still see that kind of peace in people, even with fellow parishioners. Uh-huh. We see it with uh, many, with the serious fellow parishioners. In much of our American big cities, Taking a walk like that towards dark is just asking to be mugged huh? or worse. In small town America and in the cities today, this is even worse, a majority are instead watching TV or in some way being entertained. Huh? Forget calling it TV, call, call it being entertained. Yeah. At least unintentionally, they will do anything, almost anything to keep from having to really think about their life. Uh-huh. There was something painful about that to so many of the people now. The kids with the earphones on listening to music. I've talked to many, many, many of them in work that I do. And they'll finally admit that they don't do it so they don't have to think about how miserable their life is. And their life is miserable for, I'm not going to say it's just for one reason. But the idea of thinking, okay, uh, suffering is part of life along with the joys. That has not been taught. It's not believed by most people. Mm-hmm. It's something to be avoided at all cost. Okay? Yeah, that's that's the evil part of this meta that's coming out. People will just get out of reality to go to virtual reality to yeah. run away from their problems. Right. They don't know how or what to enjoy in such an ambiance, mm-hmm. or they're not distracted, entertained. Such people have, to one degree or another, lost touch with our common reality. They live and work for distraction from their reality. One of the greatest books, books of the 20th century, I think that's ever been written, was uh, well, the original Gadigula Grunge's book, Reality, in which he, he boils down uh, to a certain degree, but, but talks pretty clearly about domestic teaching on uh, reality. What, what, this, what this world we're born into is really, 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 really like. And it is just the opposite of what probably 90% of our people in the United States think and believe today. Okay. In all too many instances, God help you if you should try to engage them in discussion about the reality of life, and especially in their own lives. You're, you're out of line. You're stepping out of line. Even if you, you love them and you're just trying to get them to think. So many of them get uh, verbally quite agitated if they perceive that you think any of their ideas are wrong. Or even if you just have a different opinion or idea. Lord, last summer, uh, two summers ago? <laughs> you know, we've all seen it and seen it increasing on a newly exponential level, haven't we? Okay, what is the cause of this common malaise amongst the people? Many of us who frequent writings such as this one can instantly identify the fact that a high percentage of our people today seek constant entertainment distractions of some sort or other. Many of us here can also see that a major majority of the people do uh, so just so they will not have to think about the great questions of life. Why am I here? What is the purpose of life in general? What is the purpose of my life? Am I leading a good life? 
what is a good life? Or is that even a relevant question? Okay. I was thinking Naked Gun. You remember you remember the Naked Gun series? Yeah, yeah. So Leslie Nielsen's walking out. Where where did he get shot at? Why was he killed? Where, what did he use? And at the end of it, you see the gravel turn into rocks. And he's like, and at the end of it, and where the heck am I? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to know. Yeah, that's the next point. Okay. Okay. Mammy here could name the cause of such people's resistance to introspective thought. Uh, let's repeat that. Many here could name the cause of such people's resistance to introspective, looking inward thought. It is fear. Fear of having to think about the big questions. What is the cause of that fear? Then, waiting for everybody to give them a chance to think, yeah, what the heck is it? If you haven't thought, if you thought of it before, you probably already know. But if you don't, uh, we're going to go into it. One of the biggest minds to address this question in my lifetime was a very famous Catholic theologian. Here's a brief profile of him. He was Giuseppe Cardinal Siri, Archbishop of Genoa. He was uh, in, uh, in Italy from 1946 to 1987. Pope Pius XII created him a cardinal in 1953. He was Pope Pius XII's personal choice to be his successor in the papacy, which Pius XII made very public. Going into the 1958 conclave to elect Pius XII's successor, Siri was the leading uh, contender for the papal office. And also in the three following papal elections. Yeah, people wanted him around all that, of that long. He was a strong candidate. Yet virtually no one knows his name today. It was Giuseppe Joseph, for those who don't know their Italiano, Cardinal Siri. I began reading and studying him in the early 1980s. And somebody <laughs> showed me this book, Gethsemane by Cardinal Siri. And I know it looks tacky, but it, it's been read a lot of times. I was going to say, it looks like you used it once or twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, many, 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 many times. Well, he was, he was one, one of the two or three most brilliant theologians in the Catholic Church in the 20th century. Um, but he was very, very faithful Orthodox, and so he didn't get much traction with the press. Or, yeah. You know. yeah. Um, I began reading studying him in the early 1980s. He was publishing articles, books, and monographs on the growing lack of real faith. And, he's, and he laid that cross squarely at the feet of many aspects of contemporary philosophy and resultant bad theology. To wit, he, he absolutely thrashes alive Carl Rotter, Raymond Brown, et al. All, all that bunch. Uh, and very frankly, uh, I quoted him heavily in TTT for just that reason. <laughs> because I have to have the same opinion of, of Raymond Brown and Carl Rotter in that crowd. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, as I was recently rereading him, I came across passages which nail, the last, most recent time I reread it, uh, nail the prevalent cause of today's scarcity of peace of mind, indicating a loss of hope. Because that's what causes lack of peace of mind is lack is loss of hope. I've seen them before, but didn't tumble for their importance in one particular area. I'd seen what he statement. I read it many times. Nothing, nothing broke through. Yeah, you know, the the, the rock headed Mick. There's know. five. There's five inches of solid rock there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as an as an aside, if you are wondering how to tell if someone has peace of mind, here it is. 
Peace of mind is always accompanied by some form of joy. Even just the simple joy of living. Doesn't mean you're yippee skippy and it just means you can tell when somebody's joyful in a joyful mood. Any all of us can. Yeah. Very few people enjoy that peace and its fruits today, at least compared with the times of my youth in the 1940s and 1950s. My father, born in 1910, told me even the peace of mind and heart at that time, which was in the 1940s and 50s, you were telling me this, was much less than in his youth in the early 20th century. Where is that joy to be found? St. Paul tells us that a Christian who fully believes and lives his faith can be full of joy in the midst of terrible suffering. Mm-hmm. We all know that quote. But what? how do we connect the dots? One amongst many examples, St. Thomas More went to the scaffold to be beheaded by his first Catholic living faith in Jesus Christ. He placed a valuable coin in his executioners, his, his, the, the headsman uh-huh. who was going to cut his head off, and saying to him, you send me to a better place. He was joy-filled as he innocently confronted his wrongful murder execution by King Henry VIII. <clears throat> and he didn't hate Henry. He spoke Henry and prayed for Henry on the scaffold. And told him not to not to hurt his beard. My beard is not offended the king. A little, little off the top, please. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Thank you for thinking of that. that one is, I'd slipped on that one. He was joyful. He was joy-filled as he innocently confronted his wrongful murder execution by uh, King Henry VIII. He departed this life with his head separated from his body, but with full joy bound to his soul. I thought that was. I don't think I came up with that. I think my guardian angel or the or the Holy Spirit, because that thing is that that is so beautiful. I knew I couldn't have thought of it. So <laughs> <laughs> now, what did Cardinal Siri name as the cause of the lack of joyful peace in our respective age? Da da. Drum roll. <laughs> I don't have the drum roll button ready. <laughs> I'll radically synopsize it here, backed in part by a few quotes from Siri as we go along. A. Siri states the cause of the lack of peace of mind is the lack of confidence in the authority of the Word of God in His divine revelation, i.e., His promise of the resurrection and the eternal life with Him to His faithful followers. It is that simple. As a result, people do not live in the same hope as so many more of them used to do. Then I've got my personal note in there. Uh, it is impossible to live joyfully here on earth if you are without great hope. Cardinal Siri B. Cardinal Siri names bad theology as the principal cause of loss of confidence in the word of God. Cardinal Siri defines theology thusly. Theology is the science of God based on revelation. Uh, he lays contemporary bad theology primarily at the feet of what he calls the contemporary theological movement. It was Carl Rahner and the boys. Right, right, right. <laughs> that, right. Crowd, yeah. that crowd were the keynote figures, right? Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't, he, he, he names them in other parts of the book. <laughs> yeah. Because he wanted to play a room to swing his axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he loved them. I, I guarantee it. Siri loved them and was praying for them. Whoops. My phone thinks I've just given Siri in. His I was I was going to make that joke earlier. That how many phones just went off if we're, when he said Siri and go hello? What can I do for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hadn't even dawned to me. Why this phone is doing this? <laughs> I think you should turn the should I turn the phone off? Yeah, just go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay. Uh, well, it's going to take take a minute or two. <laughs> Why had that not occurred to me? 
See, I can be much slower than I look. Even there you go. I look. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. He lays contemporary bad theology primarily defeated what he calls the contemporary theological movement, which developed first in Protestant and then Catholic theological circles in the late 1800s and throughout the 20th century. His thesis states the center of God's revelation has been lost in a cloud of theological uh, speculation, which is not based in revelation which in fact is based, it carries its victims outside the objective meaning and teaching of God's revelation, yet they're calling themselves theologians. Uh-huh. One example, I recall that as a teenager, I began encountering voices which explained that the death of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea during the Exodus was a pious legend, and that was not meant to be ta- that it was not meant to be taken literally. I recall how shocked I was when I read and heard such things, because I've been raised in a very faithful home, and I I believe that I knew that they were either mistaken or deliberate liars. It is a fact that the remnants of Pharaoh's armor have since been found in archaeological digs on the bank, banks of the Red Sea. I'm sure you read, read that before, right? I mean, and it's not just a couple of chest plates or something. Yeah, it's they've seen the wheels and things like that, yeah. The wheel and everything. Yeah. It's all there. But you will look in vain to hear those who previously trumpeted the denial of that event admit they were wrong. Uh-huh. Today we hear that the same voices willfully ignoring such undeniable information so that they can continue to cast doubt on the authority of God's revelation. I heard the same questioning in the same venues on whether Christ really cast out demons. End of my comment. Okay. I could go on and on with virtually endless examples of attacks on the authority of God's revelation, of God's word. Our culture has been soaked with such faithful and malicious attacks for way over a century. That question of God's word has since filtered down to the common man. And there lies the real problem. That in turn has devastated many their confidence and hope in God's promises to mankind. It is time to complete this terribly cryptic synopsis of Cardinal Seri's point. So with that, with the basis we have established, we shall simply view his central statement on how all this relates to the lack of peace in Western culture. Speaking of a false theology which denies the object, objective authority of God's revelation, Siri observes, it, in friends, such a false theology, will be able to have insights here and there, and even penetrations into difficult problems. But it will be sporadic, won't be consistent, without order. The references will not always be those of revelation which are immutable. There will not be the, the piece of the truth, and consequently, there will not be the liberty which only eternal truth can give. Um, he says it all right there in that one one very, very brief paragraph. He says, there will not be the peace of truth. Now, And we see a country, ton of lie in the last how many years, especially recently. And you see what? The increase of suicide. Where do you get suicide from? Lack of hope. Yep. If you want to understand lies... Just watch the news every night when it was the National Report in Washington, D.C. Don't get me started on there. That's why I got clown planted on, on two, day, two days a week. Do you know how to tell when those people were both thinking of or lying? When their mouths are moving. When their mouths are moving, yeah. Okay. Siri states clear that that which had gradually become more and more evident during my own lifetime, there is a demonstrable drop in peace of mind among men. My whole level of understanding of the cause of the already clearly visible loss of peace in somebody's minds and hearts burst open when I read this man, Cardinal Siri. 
That teaching of Siri made so many of the world's contemporary scales to fall from my eyes. Hope, and I'm talking in the early 70s. I think it was 71 when I first got this book. No, it couldn't have been because it came out. I'll, 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 the, ne the next session, I'll look. <laughs> Check up on the date. We don't know. Take our time with that. Siri, Siri states clearly that which had gradually become more and more evident during my life. Okay. Um, okay. My whole level of, an, ah, I've already done that. You're going to have to edit that out. Okay. Hope exists within the promises of God's authoritative word. Without confidence in those promises, there is no true and full peace or hope. That is what Jesus came to give us. Peace. Peace be with you, he says. How many times? Peace be with you. Peace in truth. To stay strong, stay strong in faith and hope, I must have balance in my active life, living the faith implanted in my soul and my baptism. <clears throat> Where do I find examples of high need for physical balance in this world? I asked myself that question. The answer I came up with, you're not going to like this example, but that's okay. The answer I came up with was water skiing. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> How many of you have ever been, a, been water skiing? And then, then I've got my instructions. Give skipping over the waves example. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it says in the text. And if you've ever watched guys, even if you can't do it yourself, if you watch them when they're outside, they're leaning outside like this, and that boat's just trying to whip them around as fast as they can. And then, and then I used to want to be able to walk on water just to punch these guys out because I mean, I, I played multiple sports, played two sports in college. And I could never get up on a wave, and I get I see these guys are out of shape, overweight, beer bellies, all this, and they just pop right back up. And they do do do. They're floating around, putting their arms behind their back, doing this. I'm going, I hate they you guys. Practice a lot. <laughs> uh, okay, so the fluid in our spiritual shock absorber absorbing knees is hope. I'm going to repeat that. It's it's not Siri's, it's mine. But it's still it's still worth something, nevertheless, even if it didn't come from Siri. The fluid in our spiritual shock-absorbing knees is hope, which abides in faith, but especially in charity. Reject all voices through ch which challenge the authority of God's word. Stay in community. The church teases that the faith cannot be fully lived outside of a faith community doesn't say what size it's, it's got we can't do it alone mm -hmm. there are rare special cases where god himself calls someone to a life as a hermit but they still need the help of others to survive both faith and hope reside and live in companion with the other theological virtue of charity especially charity so if we wish to do our part in increasing our hope doesn't it make sense that we should first ask for and then say yes to the grace to increase our charity in love of God, especially our charity in loving our neighbor, and especially to love our enemies. I'm, I'm giving the antidote here. This is there's no crowns on this on this shot, right? <laughs> it won't make you sick. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition tell us that in order to go get to the maturity and perfection of our faith, which deep down inside we all want. We must turn our will completely over to God. I don't mean 99%. They don't mean 80% or 90%. Man freely commits his entire self to God. That's a quote from the CCC earlier that I gave earlier. Entire self. It's 90, 70, 80, 90, 80, 95, 100%. Because we're headed into some really, really 
rough things, which I discussed in TTT from canonized saints, blessed and venerable, from dozens and dozens of them who all talked about our time. They give us some very vivid descriptions of what's coming. Um, and only the person who's got some peace in their heart and hope is going to make it. I'll just tell you that. Without it, you won't make it. So now we've got some time. Start, start jacking up the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. And the corporal works of mercy are a lot easier to do, at least for me, or moi. For me, they're a lot more difficult than the spiritual acts. The spiritual acts, when somebody really, really uh, is trying to dance on my grave, or <laughs> there's, it, that's when it's tough. And that's when, if you've been praying hard enough, and willing to say yes enough, that's when you get the grace to do it, because you can't do it. You can only say yes to doing it. Hope does not and cannot live like a hermit. It exists here on earth in common with the other two theological virtues. Faith and is especially dependent upon charity. This ends our discussion of the virtue of hope vis-a-vis uh, -vis public revelation. This Christ and his church teach us we must accept in divine faith. Because none of this stuff I'm saying came, came from outside the church. It came from the catechism. It came from scripture. It came from great theologians like Cardinal Siri. Uh, it's, this isn't me. I'm just encapsulating. I, I don't have this kind of knowledge. I, I don't, you know. In the year 2021, we've had 2,000 years of people teaching this stuff. All we have to do is just parrot it back. We don't have to make reinvent the wheel. That's right. There's. We should be the I, world's best plagiarizers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, we're supposed to give credit. Where credit oh yeah, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, Paul give them credit. But, I didn't make it up. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. I think I came up. No, yeah. Paul said it. <laughs> There's, there's a plagiarism. There, probably wasn't the best idea, best word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I was, but I was trying to be polite and, and friendly and joke a lot. Very charitable, yes. You guys should share. Anyway, uh, there's there, the, one of my best profs in the university, a father, Father Coffer. Uh, he was uh, my 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 favorite philosophy prof. He he started out. The first class I ever took from him, which I think was a sophomore level course. And he said, just so you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh -huh. Nobody who invents all of this stuff from scratch. He said, there were some people who did. He said, nobody can take, take away from Socrates that he did a lot of stuff from originally. Nobody can take away from Aristotle. He did a lot of stuff originally. Nobody can take away from, from Thomas Aquinas the fact that he was a better Aristotelian than Aristotle. <laughs> but... It's, it's a, don't say, say in the world the devil will try to get you to do stuff just on your own and be original. In my entire life, I think, with academic life, I think I've had one tiny smidge of an original idea, okay? The way we grow is to learn from the people that God gave us to learn from, Okay? Uh, so I'm going to close with another quote from Paul. So then, faith, hope, and charity abide. 
these three. But the greatest of these is charity. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Chapter 13, verse 13. Um, I, I appreciate all of your patience. I know there was a lot of reading from the Catechism. But we, you, despite what some people think, you can't start from your own authority. You have to start from the church that God created and set up uh, to hold fast to the things that have been uh, spoken to the church. And as St. Paul says, it isn't just scripture alone. He says, therefore, brethren, hold fast to the traditions which you have, which you have been taught, either by a letter or by our word. Uh, there was the oral tradition. That's where the stuff from, from the Eucharist comes from. There's very little about the Eucharist in Scripture. It's, it's very brief. But if you read the, the, the earliest books, like from, uh, from St. Hippolytus in 215, on the, on the depth of, of, of how the Mass was, the prayers are the same as we say today at the beginning of the Mass. Uh, and the only difference was, in those days, the celebrant uh, prayed as the Spirit moved him in thanksgiving before he got to the words of consecration. Now it's all laid out in every rite of the church. Eastern and Western, it's laid out. There's been refinements. But what we've got today about faith, hope, and charity was known to the disciples, to the apostles, taught by Jesus, and the Holy Spirit later were called to their mind and taught both in writing and orally. And so I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I hope that I get to meet some of you people someday, somehow, if you're ever forever the same shindig or gig, walk up and introduce yourself and say, I saw you as Steve. <laughs> and uh, if you hear that laughter, you know it's him. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I know it's terrible loud laugh. I don't mean it to be. Uh, anyway. Thank you very much for hosting me, Steve. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Desmond. We'll talk to you later. Appreciate it as always. And get his book, Trial, Tribulation, and Triumph. The link will be underneath in the show notes for that. Uh, it's a great... Watch for the new book on hope. <laughs> and a new book on hope. I'll have that link when it comes out. I'll have that link out too. It'll be six to ten months. Because <laughs> what we have here today yeah. is maybe five or six percent of what's going to be in the book. Very good. Very good. Appreciate it, Desmond. You bet. Talk to you later.